How's it going, Ben? Great as always. Wonderful to hear, and hello to all of you as well. Welcome to the Key Plugin Podcast, episode number 23. Um, sure it's not 24? Is it 24? It might be 24. Let's try that one more time. It is 24, you're right. We're not trying anything one more time. You're going to just keep that in as is? Well, thank yeah. you. Welcome to the Keep Plugin Podcast, episode number twenty-four. I like how much how we're we're still so nice to each other after so many of these. The the love, the friendship is real. How are you doing? Wonderful. So Ben, as always this week, let's get into it. Like we do every week, uh, we're going to take a little look back into gaming history. So what are we looking back at this week, Ben? Looking back at the virtual console release for Paper Mario that was in two thousand seven on the Wii. Ooh, very nice. Now, this is Paper Mario 64, just to clarify, yeah. correct? I was looking it up. It actually doesn't have the 64 on it. Wow, it doesn't. Oh. Which a lot of 64 games do, but... And I usually call it Paper Mario 64. I, I think, colloquially, some people have taken to adopting that just because there was... There's been so many Paper Mario games at this point, and in particular, that one, it's just... Paper Mario, like there's no like, yeah. like the GameCube one is Thousand Year Door. There's Super Paper Mario on the Wii. Like, there's no distinguishing factor. So I feel like people just kind of added the 64. Actually, I never beat this one. What is your um, history with the series? I played Super Paper Mario on the Wii. Yeah, and that's a, good one. a little bit of Thousand Year Door, which was the uh-huh. GameCube one. And that's my history. I, I, I don't know the Paper Mario series so well. Um, that's one of the cool things, though, about looking back. It's that every once in a while, there'll be... Maybe I'll have more experience or you'll have more experience. And we'll kind of take the other one on a journey through history. So um, you have a little bit more of the history of the Paper Mario series. A little more, yeah. So kind of kind of walk me through... I got I got in later on the Wii one. Mm-hmm. Super Paper Mario. And I kind of fell in love with that game. Oh, and that's an amazing that's game. That's a turning point for the series. A lot of people aren't fond of that game and see that as like the changing point where it wasn't for the old fans anymore yeah well here's the thing the paper mario series has a very interesting lineage which that is something i can speak of we did some research um it actually is a direct descendant of super mario rpg on the on the snes and it's the it's the next full throttle mario rpg they changed the styling of it and it wasn't Square, it was Intelligent Systems, but it's the same idea. Yeah, it, it was it was a different developer, but like similar idea. It was kind of a spiritual successor. The main mechanic and conceit of the battle system was the real-time jumping on enemies and blocking. Yeah. So more, it more, brought that over. It brought, it brought that over. It, it brought up some elements of it, but more or less it was... The first two Paper Mario games were both RPGs. Thousand Year Door was an RPG, and so was... Thousand Year Door is actually a lot of fun. I yeah, don't, I don't that's know. the one I haven't played any of. Yeah. I'm kind of saving it though. I know it's gonna be good. That would be, that would actually be a great potential future game club pick, if we could both get our hands on a copy. I would love to. I would love to play through that game. But um, it's enticing. Yeah, Paper Mario is is an, the original Paper Mario was like one of those games I've always heard of. I don't have any real personal experience with, but it is as we've established. Uh, it is an RPG in like the Final Fantasy mold that has the active time battle system and all that stuff. But instead of you know attacking people, you you're jumping on people like you're. Mar- like well, it Mario. is it's more active than Final Fantasy. It's more and it's more active than Mario RPG is correct. It's not. Is no, it, I'd say it's it's much more similar to Mario RPG where you have to press the A button right before you jump on an enemy. Okay. To cause more damage. I got. So you. like you're picking from a menu, you're saying Mario needs to jump. 
that's just menu RPG based stuff, and then that's like tra- that that, tra- that element is it's traditional. mixed with traditional, yeah. And then he actually does the jump, and if you time it right and press A right before he hits the enemy, you get double damage or however much. And the same with blocking. If you time the A press at the right time, you'll block. And there's also special mo- moves that can get involved, especially in the later ones where you'll have to actually do button combos. And it also the RPG series did also spin off into the Mario and Luigi series for handhelds. Oh, okay. And that has that same conceit as well with the kind of interactive yet uh, strategy-based battles. Okay, yeah. So there, so just to get it straight, there is still this element of, um, and, and maybe this changes over time, but there is this kind of traditional Final Fantasy-ish kind of active time battle system element, but then there's also this interactivity with these button combos, uh, doing doing pressing a button for extra damage, and these kind of more interactive elements. Yeah. I'm not sure if there's um, more prev- any other prevalent series that have done this before The Legend of the Seven Stars on Super Nintendo, but it's like it's become more of a prevalent thing in the genre. Like The South Park game basically yeah. adopted that. But yeah, the I started on the Wii with Super Paper Mario, and that's when it became more of just a platformer, and more of just a Nintendo like game built around a mechanic rather than the battle system. Yeah. But after I beat that one, I went back, actually played this version on the Virtual Console of Paper Mario on my Wii, and I got like halfway. I wasn't really into it because I think I had the opposite effect of the like the older fans where. I came into the series when they changed it up, and then I couldn't really go back. And so for you, it was kind of hard because I mean, were you aware it was an RPG or like? I was aware it was different. Yeah. You you just weren't expecting it to like. And I was liking it. It just it didn't hold me. Yeah. I don't know if it had much to do with the expectation based on Super Paper. Yeah. Well, it, it sounds like you were informed going into it. You know what it is though. Sometimes even if like when a series changes so drastically like that, and you go back to an earlier installment, even if you're aware, it can sometimes just you know. Like, like the things about a specific game uh, that, that hold you or that, you know, draw you into it, if they're not present in a later game or an earlier game, it can have that opposite effect, like you said. Yeah. So my experience with the series is based a lot more on the last three games rather than the first two. Mm-hmm. And there is that split, so I see that. But I really do adore the last three games. That's the uh, including Sticker Star on the 3DS and Color Splash on the Wii U. Interesting, because those two games are, are a little bit controversial, too, in and of themselves. Yeah, they just, they take these weird avenues, they cut out, um, like, a cohesive world, and they put in, instead, uh, like, an overworld map, like in Mario Brothers 3, and it's kind of like, since you're picking levels, like, they got really good at it in Color Splash, it still felt like a cohesive world, because the story was connecting everything, and it was all glued together by other elements but it wasn't actually glued together you had to go out to the map screen and select every level and a lot of people didn't like that and also the they did drastically change the battle mechanic in the last two where it's based on sticker stars as stickers and color splash as cards that you collect so you don't actually level up as a character you just get new cards and new stickers yeah, like your main item the hammer paper mario always has his hammer and that does get stronger, but you're still the same Mario. Like, really, most of what you could do, all your power, all your attacks, is through collecting cards or stickers. And a lot of true, like, RPG fans want to, you know, grind. And they a lot of people have that rhythm. 
they go into a game like Final Fantasy and they want to like sit in the field and grind and then just yeah. be able to beat every boss. But this you have to actually explore and there's it's the incentives are placed in different spots, you know. And even even just taking that emphasis off personal character progression in is because again I've, I've maybe I watched you and Dan play maybe ten minutes of this game one time I think is Color Splash still like an RPG more or less like is it does it have that active time battle system or is it the like battle some- system is there but a lot of people complain that you don't necessarily need to bother because you're not leveling up your character you can you just go through the world you you're collecting basically items to make yourself stronger. And then you don't want to do the smaller battles because you're one going to waste items and two you're not going to gain anything from it. Yeah, there's there's so there's no incentive really to engage. It it almost actively disengages you from taking on enemies the way that in a traditional or in an earlier game in the series where you got XP, you would because you're not yeah. getting anything out of it. It's just run through everyone, save it for the last boss more or less, or for the big things. Yeah, it's it does start to feel like. I'm just going to run past all these enemies. Like, I didn't do that because I just loved the game, so I was playing it for fun, and I enjoyed clearing all the enemies. But, yeah, a lot of people had that problem where it's just, like, they get that feeling of, why am I doing these battles? Like, I'll just save my cards for the boss and run past them. Interesting. So do you think now maybe that you've kind of played through the game, some of these later games... I agree. I love Super Paper Mario, even though I understand why older fans don't like it. That I almost don't even want to say that that game was like a like you know what is it a, a regression or something because that that feels a little minimal. That that feels a little bit too much like you're minimizing it because that game is really interesting. And when yeah. we were talking about this when we were talking about the new Yoshi game, like the the world fluffing mechanic and like the way it played with the two D and the three D planes, like that is a very unique, interesting, different take on a Mario game and. I love Super Paper Mario so much. Um, yeah, me too. And it did the whole thing with just the uh, simplest control, just a Wiimote yeah. on its side, and then it had that thing where you could um, look at the screen like a flashlight, oh, certain yeah. puzzles and stuff. Yeah, that game was just really charming, and I think Plus. it went, uh, it kind of, in a way, with the 3D like world flipping mechanic, it put to use the sticker, uh, not sticker, the um, paper aesthetic. Yeah. Like, in, in the... Uh, the first two games, it was mostly just an aesthetic. Yeah. And it wasn't part of the gameplay that much. It was much. really just like, oh, it's a Paper Mario game, so you know it's an RPG. It's going to be quirky. I also understand at this point the Mario and Luigi games had started, so I kind of understand they were like, let's let's do something different with they this. Wanna, yeah, they want to have different series. And yeah. that is kind of where the change happened is I think they decided that they had to have justification for the paper aesthetic. Yeah. Because... With I, I, the stickers and the cards, yeah, it became everything was like a pun about uh, paper, and yeah. they actually worked as much as they could into the gameplay. Well, from what I understand too, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but the first two games were kind of more cult games. They weren't like by any means like the most successful Mario games, I think. And you have to keep in mind also this game came out on the Wii, so I can also understand from like a cynical business perspective. I'm not saying this is why, but I can understand the reasonings for why they were like, oh, maybe we'll go in a different direction and use this paper aesthetic and try something that's more of a traditional platformer, but still really like interesting and like experimental. You're saying the success of the Wii game yeah. kind of misinformed them because it was just the Wii's success and they more, tried this new thing. More the, and I, I might have, I might be wrong here, so I'm not going to take this as a direct quote, but I seem to remember that the, the, the first two games were marginally successful but not like runaway hits so maybe they kind of wanted to try something that was more 
quote unquote accessible while still being like experimental yeah. or just make like a different type of game like there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons why they could have made the choice they did but putting all that aside for a second i mean do you think now that you've played through some of these especially these later games that kind of returned in some ways to the rpg mechanics you might go back and give the original paper mario a try at some point or thousand yeah. year door I still plan to. I think more likely Thousand Year Door. Yeah. Because I've tried a couple times to get into the original one, and I don't know. It just it doesn't work for me. I don't know. Maybe it's the pace of it, or something, or maybe it's just the fact that a Thousand Year Door is there looming, and I know it's probably better. So okay. maybe I should just knock that one out first. All right. Well, that's an interesting thing. So I, I think you and me should definitely take a look at Thousand Year Door. Although we uh we got our handfuls, hand we got our charged up cannon hands full at the moment if you know what i mean uh but we'll talk about that later moving on though ben uh that's have... not the end of paper mario oh you have more you want to talk about well the game for what i've been playing this week is color splash oh yeah okay there we go i don't have to do my normal transition there we go take it so, away then. uh nothing to do with the anniversary of the random virtual console release but I just kind of popped it in. I wanted to play this specific level, and I'm I'm wary about spoiling it because it's actually it was a really cool surprise. So I don't know if I should say it or not. I what do you think? I I mean I personally don't care, but I I can understand if you don't want for the listeners. It's up P- to you. Potential spoiler. So yeah, there's this really cool throwback level with Mario Three. Oh. And it's actually, it's also a throwback level to Super Paper Mario. Because you go into it, and it's like you're in Pixel World of Mario 3, but then it also gives you this temporary, like, flipping mechanic. So you could flip the dimensions just like in Paper Mario. But, uh, spoiler over, that's just, uh, it was my favorite level playing through it, and I just got the urge to, like, kind of test it out, and I love being in that world. So I, I finished the whole game 100%, but it's just... Yeah, I really didn't... Um, I think, actually, now I'm remembering where we've talked about this before is um, the the Jim Sterling review, and I brought up Arlo's review of Color Splash. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, he was knocking it for the touch controls and having to deal right, with the, right. the card management in the, the battles. You're right. But... Listeners, just yeah. for context, pre-air, me and Ben were... Ben was remembering that previously we talked about a Paper Mario game... I could remember we were kind of racking our brains, but you, you are right about that. I do remember that. Yeah, so he was saying something like uh, having to manage the cards with your hands and, like, swipe through everything, and there's, like, it's not a fast process, but it is if you just turn on button control, and I just thought that was a bad uh, review practice is to not know all the options and base your negative opinions off something like that. Where I, I argued then, as I will argue now, that... I think the criticism there, first off, to a certain degree, Arlo is not a professional reviewer, but that doesn't necessarily mean he should or shouldn't do it. But the more important fact is that I I think the argument is that's the default way that the game wants you to play. Yeah, that's the argument. And he's being critical of that. Like, true, true. Like, like if someone wrote and people did in some of the reviews of arms, criticize the motion controls. And I saw people in the comments being like, well, yeah, but you can just turn them off. And very similar. I was thinking, well, yeah, but like, and even in some of those reviews, the but also, didn't know. but thinking back to Arlo's review, I think what bothered me was he was presenting it as if it was the only option. Like I get reviewing it as a viable option. Yeah. But he was saying, or they, or is the the default option even? Yeah, but I think it was just presented as the only option. He didn't he didn't admit the fact that, and you're right, there is a problem there. Um, 
I don't want to cut Arlo too much slack, but I would maybe chalk that up more to inexperience or just oversight, but that, that it's, it's fine. It's just yeah. a thought I had, and uh, I had a great time playing with the button controls, yeah. so that's all. Yeah, I mean, look, no, and regardless, it's an important fact, and it's an important distinction to make when you're talking about any reviewer, regardless of whether or not you like them. And um, I did think the touch controls were kind of lame, so he wasn't <laughs> wrong. I yeah. just... Um, you just didn't. You just didn't like the fact that he didn't bring up that there was an alternate. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I recommend this game. All right. Paper Mario Color Splash. I go. think uh, it's it's a great RPG. You know, the thing about the battles not mattering, I think they're fun enough for it to matter enough to fight some of them, and the puzzles are really great. Honestly, like Sticker Star in this one remind me a lot of Zelda, I know everything does, but more just Ocarina. Oh, okay. In the way that the puzzles are very uh, cryptic, and I, I kind of like that in, in games. I just want to mark this day, because we, we, we referenced a Zelda game when talking about a different game, but it wasn't Breath of the Wild <laughs> on this podcast. That, that is a milestone. Viewers, you were here for it. You heard it first. And also, it kind of reminds me of Splatoon, because the, the main mechanic in uh, Color Splash is painting the world with your hammer. Mm-hmm. It gives me, it's one of those, like, you know, OCD, like, fulfillers, you know, where it's like, I got to get every spot. Oh, So I don't know if that's healthy or unhealthy for me, but. Well, I don't know either, but you and me are going to have to be grappling with this decision in a couple weeks when Splatoon 2 comes out. Yeah. Oh, boy. We're going to be grappling. Um, If if I may, there there is something interesting that I do kind of want to, more in general about the Paper Mario series, because. I'm happy you brought up the Arlo reviews because I know he's been very critical of not just Color Splash. I know even more so he's notorious. I think his first review was him just shitting all over Sticker Star. Uh-huh. And I know for me as someone who, uh, he's a YouTube creator. I like he's someone whose opinion I trust. Also, I mean, he's a Muppet and I, I'm always naturally naturally yeah. inclined to take a Muppet's word for something. Uh, they're very honest puppets. More mm-hmm. honest than actual puppets, scientifically proven. Um, but I don't know, just something about that and then what other people said. I was always turned off from those games, but hearing you talk about it, I, I am interested to maybe check out Sticker Star and, and Color yeah. Splash. Sticker Star is the one that reminded me more, more of Ocarina of Time. One, because you, have, you have this little fairy girl that follows you around that's very Navi-like. And the way the puzzles are is just like, you're collecting the thing stickers, which is like stickers of real-world things, like a milk bottle or a goat or uh. something. And there'll be these dotted outlines in the overworld. And you'd have to basically put the sticker in the right spot to open your next area or solve the puzzle. So it'll be like like a big sink, right? You come upon this big sink, and this will be an easy one where it's like, okay, I just got the faucet sticker, and I got to fill this area with water, so that's blatantly put that there, and then you get the faucet. But some of them, it's like, yeah, the milk bottle matches up with like the fireplace for some random reason. It's just kind of... That kind of thing reminds me of Ocarina, where it's like, there's these weird keys that aren't actually keys, you just have to do this very specific thing to open the next area, and it's easy to get stuck because of that, because it's not always uh, telegraphed very well. I kind of like that kind of puzzle, because it's the kind of thing where, I, when I'm away from the game, it kind of, it's racking around in my brain, I'm like, okay, where do I use the milk bottle, where do I use the milk bottle? So I don't know, something about being stuck in those spots... I kind of like. All right, that's a sticky spot to be stuck in, but uh, yeah. you gotta do what you gotta do. Uh, anything else on uh, the Paper Mario series, my friend? That's it. All right, I think so, that's good. All right, so um, there's only been really one new game I've been playing this week. Uh, I did yeah. buy a game on Saturday. Didn't get too much of a chance to get my hands on it, 
What game is that? I'll talk about that briefly. Um, starting off about on that note, uh, I bought Lego City Undercover. Yeah. I was on sale at Best Buy. Uh, it's a game I've had my eyes on for a while. Uh, I was actually with a friend of the show, Dan Roach, at the time, and he did kind of, uh, you know, like 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 a good friend. He kind of he kind of pushed me into it a bit, but I was already feeling it on my own. Um, I like the Lego games. I, I I own what is it? Lego Batman Three. Just as a, uh, I bought it on sale for like six dollars. Like one of those on one of my many PlayStation Store binges, uh, sale binges. I haven't really played through a full Lego game in a while. I think this might be a good candidate just because it's more of like a GTA-style open-world game, and I like that, and I've heard good things about it. It was a, it was originally a Wii U launch title. I bought the Switch version. Um, I also just still only have so many games for my Switch, you know? Now, obviously, that number is going to grow by two. I'm definitely getting ARMS, and I'm absolutely getting Splatoon 2 uh, in, in the very near future, so I don't mind having a, like like an open-world-style GTA-ish kind of game particularly like a charming one that apparently has very good writing and characters and is a Lego game. I'm down for that, but I can't really report too much. I, I literally just booted the game up and like messed around for maybe 10 minutes. So mm-hmm. I'm still in like the opening tutorial. The big game I have to talk about and I didn't play, I maybe only played like two to three hours of this is a dying light. The following enhanced edition. That's the, that's the full title, which might even, yeah. might even take the title from uh, what, what was the previous one we were saying? Donkey Kong country, tropical freeze longest title. Yeah. Donkey Kong Country Returns Tropical Freeze. Oh, Donkey Kong Returns nah. Tropical Freeze 3D. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> world. 3D World. <laughs> we, should, we should submit that to Retro as a name for their next game. Uh, anyway, this is an interesting game. Uh, we were actually talking a couple weeks ago about... Remember the Dead Island trailer? We, we were having yeah. kind of... So this is from the people who did Dead Island, but... Um, they didn't do the, like, you know, norm, they, they didn't, they didn't pull another Dead Island and do the whole super sad trailer and you play a goofy game about, like, killing zombies with, like, electrical machetes. They, they kind of just presented the game as what it was, but I remember when this game came out, I was very mad at, I mean, in general, zombies are pretty played out at this point, but I don't know, uh, something. You were, wait, you were what? I was pretty mad on it. Oh, like, mad on it. Matt, okay. what did it sound like I said? I couldn't man on it. I, I was, I was a man they, on they it. You were a man about I was, it. I was all man over, I was such a man, I was like... Look, game, I don't want anything to do with this. You get out of here, zombie game. I'm done with your kind. Get out of here. And it shuffled away. So you were meh on it. I was meh on it, not Change meh. Change of heart. Uh, yeah, well, one thing was the game got pretty good reviews. It didn't get super great reviews, but a lot of people, like game journalists and like other YouTube personalities, seemed to be playing it. And it was one of those weird cases, I think, where a game's reception grew over time because they patched the game pretty extensively. It had some bugs launched a kind of you know how especially in these last couple generations that's been kind of an issue that in of itself is kind of a a silly thing but sometimes the game will be kind of buggy at launch and then it'll get bad reviews as a result you know Mm -hmm. or not even bad reviews but like the reviews will be a little bit mediocre i noticed um they did it they did a enhanced release after they did they they did a really big expansion expansion pack called the following that's the second half of that enormous fucking mouthful of a title uh Mm. and that's actually a really cool thing It, it so that is, the main game takes place in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. After the zombie outbreak, you play as a secret agent that's been dropped. And it's like a very corny video game story, but it's kind of fun and charming. Uh, you play as a uh, like CIA, CIA agent that's been dropped in to has to kill this like terrorist guy who's become like the leader of this like survival community that's popped up. And pretty much immediately you are injured when you land. A bunch of raiders take your stuff. And a group of survivors save you. 
And then, believe it or not, you end up in that guy who you're supposed to assassinate's community. So you're, like, working with him, but, like, you're going behind his back. It's, like, it's like it's a very prototypical kind of story. Um, and it's very much so kind of just, like, you know, fodder for you to kill a bunch of zombies. But of course. the gameplay is really fun. So it has, like, parkour elements. It, it plays a lot like Mirror's Edge, almost. Oh, cool. It's an open-world game. So you imagine open-world parkour, and then there's zombies running around. Like, it's a lot of just dumb fun. And I think that's why people connected with it. It was just very... And the gameplay is very satisfying. Um, that's the thing. Even, you know, Dead Island, like, as much as, you know, it's fun to kind of point out how, you know, the game was not what was promised by that trailer. Most people, when the game released, said that the hand-to-hand combat was fantastic in this game, in that game, yeah. and that continues and was even improved in this game. And also does something really interesting that reminds me of, uh, did you ever play the first Dead Rising game on Xbox 360? Yes. Remember how that game at night the zombies would get really strong and, like, it would turn into a different kind of game? I don't remember that. That, that. that was an aspect of the first Wait, Dead Dead Rising. That was the mall one, right? Yeah. At night, the zombies yep. would get stronger. Oh, really? Their eyes would go red. Maybe I only played the demo. Oh, that's a great demo, though. It is a good demo. Dead Rising in general is a great game. We should. That's another game we should talk about at some point in the future. But this game does a similar thing where, like, this really, <laughs> this, like, very particular, it's kind of like the Hunter zombie in Left 4 Dead. It only comes out at nighttime. And the game kind of changes because uh, you're supposed to... It's attracted to light, so if you're out at nighttime, you can't use your flashlight. You have to literally just, like, kind of try to parkour blind. It's an interesting challenge, and it's kind of a hard game to describe on paper, and it sounds very just kind of, you know, oh, yeah, it's a game, it's kind of generic, but it's just fun in practice, and I've been really enjoying it, you know? How does the parkour gameplay work? Uh, You have a dedicated button that's just, like, your vault button. Okay. Which I really like, and... Is it designated spots, or, like, can you just climb up a building, or...? It's designated spots, more or less, but pretty much any any surface that looks like you can kind of climb on top of. So, say that um, say that there's, like, a hut, right? Like, you want to get on top of. And there's, like, an indent in it. You would climb on the indent, then climb on, like, the roof, right? Can you kind of cheese it at times? Or yeah, there's a little bit of it's cheese. It's not that specific? It's not super specific. Um, It's pretty intuitive. But, like, it's not like you can also just, like... It's not like Breath of the Wild. You can't just, like, go up a wall and start climbing. But uh-huh. there is, like, that kind of Assassin's Creed-y thing of, like, maybe there's, like, a nook. Like, yeah. Or, like, or like, like a most of the times, if you think you can, you probably can. Yeah, and there's always a way around it. And the climbing is really good and very satisfying, actually. And the hand-to-hand combat's fantastic. There, there's human enemies, too, and they're actually really fun to face off against. AI isn't always the smartest, but it, it's uh, the nighttime zombies, like, element. Like, they have pretty good AI, and they're just a lot of fun to face off with. Um... But the game does kind of, from what I've heard at least, because I was talking with a buddy of mine who's played a decent amount of it, more than I have, and he was saying that as you go on, you do kind of start to get a little too powerful. And that element kind of goes away, but I'll see if that if that's true for myself. Mm-hmm. You know, just kind of like, you know, like the normal video game thing where once you get too many power-ups, the thing yeah. that was once, you know. You always eventually become God. <laughs> always. Um, that's about all I have to say, though, on my games this week. Sounds good. All right, Ben. Uh, so on that note, let's move into a little bit more of a, of a somber note. Uh, do you want to mm-hmm. kick it off with for me? Um, sure. Well, everyone remembers the beloved Iwata, Satoru Iwata. President of uh, and CEO of Nintendo. And, yeah, he died July 11th, two years ago. So we wanted to just give him a little honor maybe go over some of our favorite games from him. I don't think we ever talked about him really on the podcast. Uh, he probably died before we started, and well, well before we, we've definitely mentioned a lot of things we love that he influenced, but I don't think we've really uh, touched on him 
uh, if I remember correctly, I think maybe once or twice we've briefly brought him up, but no, we've never really given him the respect he deserves. I mean, the guy was an icon in the industry, even before he became president of Nintendo, which I believe was 04, 05 he became president, correct? Sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, he was he was president around around the time that the Wii came out, and he was uh, president of the company. During, all probably... Was it during Game, the GameCube wind down? During the GameCube wind down, wind down, and in the peer development on the Wii, he became president. He was president for the entire Wii era, the Wii U era. He brought the company through some of their highest and lowest moments, and more importantly, even before that, he was the head, one of the one of the founding members. Not there at the exact start, but hired very soon after of HAL Laboratory. One of the co-creators of Kirby, Super Smash Brothers, very heavily involved in those games. Pokemon. Pokemon too. He he basically saved Pokemon Gold and Silver. Did he really? And uh, yeah, I think they had some horrible code problems, and it, the computers they were using were like melting or something. And he kind of just took his own time and fixed it. Yes, because he was primarily a programmer. Yeah. yeah, he had like his hat in every ring. He could do uh, jack of all trades, right? He was a jack of all. I believe he started as a programmer, though, correct? And then he be- yeah. eventually became. Uh, an executive. I think he was even a designer at one point. He, again, in the way that some of the best titans of this industry are, he... You grow up from the bottom. You grow up from the bottom, and you eventually have your hands in everything, and you can do everything, you know? Um, and he just had a smart business mind, I guess. He did. I mean, again, he made... He developed some of the best successes. He was... Successes that are still permeating, like 3DS is from his spawn. That's even, still going strong. I believe he had a very big hand in the original DS, even. And yeah, so I'm saying that's the result. It's still going. In terms of game, the last two games I played, Mario Kart 8 and uh, Breath of the Wild, he was still listed executive producer. Um, those might be the last ones, though. I'm not sure. But yeah, he's he's in the Breath of the Wild credits. It's good to see his name in there. Um, and I, I think something important to keep in mind about why he was such a beloved figure, too, was that he had a very good eye for PR, and him and Reggie did a lot to kind of be the, the, the faces behind Nintendo, uh, yeah, besides for Miyamoto-san. That's not a quality of most uh, CEOs. Like, I guess Steve Jobs was one of them. and Just to be the face, you know? It takes yeah. a lot to be in the background and in the front, you know? And to be so personable while you're doing it. I mean, the man was just talented with being a someone who could connect with people. And, I mean, look at the way that the gaming community embraced him as, as a figure of Nintendo and... This is, particularly with the Nintendo Directs, those started during a period that Nintendo was probably at one of its lowest points in the in the 21st yeah. century. I mean... I remember one of the early ones. Uh, it was the Wii U official unboxing before it came out. He just went out there with himself. He put Mario gloves on, and it was all super sterile, white environment, and he just had the Wii U on this, like, invisible white table, and he took through, like... Uh, well, like, what do they call it? Like, unboxing therapy or, like, ASMR? Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. the satisfying kind of thing where it's just... He was so sterile and, like, perfect about it. He took everything out of the plastic. He was, like... Like, it was his baby, like, this invention that he made with his friends at Nintendo. And something important, too, to keep in mind is how much that guiding vision is still a part of the company. I mean, he was very heavily involved in the early development of the Switch. He very much so helped steer the idea and vision behind that, and... Well, just looking at the console, it's so The cool. NX. The NX. He was very heavily involved when it was still just called the NX. Um, I don't know. I don't know if he was like involved with actually calling it the Switch or anything like that. But you look at that system, you can very clearly see 
his fingerprints, because I mean, clearly it, it's very. Yeah, mine much, came greasy with fingerprints on it. Uh, it was a lot of my touch screen. Yeah, some yeah. special switches came with a lot of print fingerprints. <laughs> if you're lucky enough to get one, Jesus. <laughs> um. Anyway, though. but yeah, I was looking at his at his game list online, and I know like executive producer. I'm doing air quotes. Is not necessarily a hand in every single game that has his name on it, but. I mean, at a certain point, he's just president, right? His name is on every yeah. every game. But still, the amount of games he did have influence on and developed and helped with. And, like, I'm sure there were a lot of instances where they needed programming help or they were just, like, they went to the president and they were like, yo, what do we do here? Could have been any any game, any moment. You can't really know, but I, I like to think he had a hands-on approach. I think it's presented that way, kind of. It's hard when you're dealing with someone who, especially for the last couple of years of his of his life, was such a public figure. But also, you know, like every public figure, they're only presenting a certain amount. We don't know necessarily, especially with Nintendo and with the way Japanese uh, culture kind of works, um, and not Japanese culture as much as uh, corporate culture in Japan. I should I should specify. I don't know how much he was directly involved. But as the CEO of the company, he really seemed to have a big passion and love for games. Yeah. And just the way that he was gamed, like you said, go out there in Mario Gloves and make something. Uh, and more more of the classic games he did have an actual hand in, like Earthbound, yeah. he he put a lot into. He put a lot into, you're right. Because he was, he was, again, like we said, he was one of the people behind HAL Laboratories. So he yeah. was one of the people who helped develop Earthbound. And Smash again, Bros. and Pokemon, I think, are the heavy hitters. So he was very much so... a someone who came from a games background who loved games and even we were looking into his uh, his early background too he was developing games and obsessed with games from a young age i mean like the guy grew up in the 70s and 80s and like he would save up money to buy early ibm computers and go to go to the arcades and, and play and play like early early arcade games they had in japan like the man had a true love and passion for this and if you look at the way that he highlighted certain games and the way he got excited some of that you just can't fake, you know. I mean, look at look at how many cringy CEOs we have there trying to be relate, you know. And well, he was cringy in a cute way. Oh yeah, there was there was definitely an element of cringe, but I would argue also as a direct that year went on, of Luigi. <laughs> year of the Luigi is, all, but at the same time, I love Year of the Luigi. Like you know, when he almost yeah, that was an awesome, and that's like a an idea that like I don't know if he actually had the idea, but that's just one of those things where I I picture like a boardroom and someone's like. What if we just do Luigi? Although they did have like a number of Luigi themed games coming out. Yeah, we, and we, we've I'm, talked I'm, about it, this. Yeah, it's you can't tell if uh, they had the Luigi idea first, or they were like, "Well, we got Luigi in ten games. Let's do a thing about it." Yeah, it's it's one of those chicken and the egg situations. Mm, yeah, they. I, I think some of it, like Super Luigi U and some of that stuff, I feel like they might have, you know. Well, maybe they. It was like a a rolling ball effect. Like yeah, it, it fed into itself. You know. Yeah, like like maybe a couple of them were like there's I think, some Easter eggs that were the cause of, or like the result of Year of Luigi. Yeah, I, I would argue like some smaller stuff like that. Maybe they were like, yeah. oh well, while we're doing this, let's like do this and that and the other they thing. They put in uh, in 3D World on Wii U. If you had Super Luigi use a save file on your system, it would automatically unlock um, the original Mario Bros from arcade. But it was called Luigi Bros, and you were both green or something. So. That was like a little bonus thing. It was probably after the fact of Year of Luigi. Yeah, and there, there was a lot of fun little stuff like that. And I just I just have to say that uh, he was just a fun person. I mean, I, I he was definitely cringy in a cute way at times. But 
there was just something about him, the way he was trying to relate with people that just went above that. And it's hard because I think there's a lot of people that point out and they're not entirely wrong. I mean, again, like under his direction, Nintendo did enter a period that was very not lucrative for them. I mean, the Wii U was not a but success. But he also created the most lucrative point. Like, sure, exactly. it, hit, it, it headed towards decline, but he, I think he hit the wave back up, though, on his end, you know? I mean, he brought the switch to light. Maybe he had a dip in the middle, but from the Wii, the DS and Wii to the switch, that's pretty awesome. Well, you do have to keep in mind also the 3DS was in there, and that was, if not as big of a success as the DS, he still held a big down success. the handhelds. Yes. And the work that Nintendo did during that period of being the underdog with the Wii U and him reaching out and trying to be so personable and a lot of those like Club Nintendo and a lot of those things that they did. I mean, again, from the top level down, he had to pro- he had to approve all those things. And he if had to he didn't, the year of the Ouija. he was the one he, who if he didn't out. help all those like um, things come to fruition and like the fan service kind of and like the outside of the games like the events and like the club, like you said, and the the year of Luigi and all these fun promotions and stuff. Without him, it could have been a lot worse. Like the Wii U, maybe it could have killed Nintendo. If they didn't have people as smart as him kind of keeping it afloat even in that dire time. I mean, they, they say one of the true examples of a leader is not what you do when everything goes okay, but what you're doing when everything's on fire. And if you're going to judge him by that category, I mean, the way that Nintendo acted in that era, um, the way that they responded with, to that hubris, I mean, look, Nintendo's not a perfect company. There's no such thing as a perfect company. And I would argue that there's still steps they could take. Uh, cough, cough, uh, Splatoon 2 fucking voice chat monstrosity. But, like, there, there's still things they could do that maybe push in a more gamer-friendly direction, but you have to give a lot of credit for getting that ball rolling and for what he did for the company and for his role in game in, in all the classic games he developed. And I don't think it's fair to sit here and do things like what... Did you, uh... You know who Michael Pactor is? Yeah. Yeah, you know you know he, like, trash-talked, like, a lot of, like, a year ago or something oh. like that. He's, he said, he's like, a dick, though. Who cares about him? Yeah, well, I mean, that's, like, Michael Pactor's whole thing. But, like, there are people, particularly, like, business analysts who are related to gaming who kind of try to, especially now that the guy is gone, peg him down, and especially now that, you know, the Wii U has been cemented as, as a failure, are going to want to try to tarnish his name with that. But I don't think it's fair to judge the man based on one element of a very long and for the most part, fruitful and prosperous gaming career. Again, the guy, like we said, he helped all those games. He freaking saved Pokemon Gold and Silver, so he did plenty of good things. Yeah, let's not bring this down with Pactor. Yeah, well, fuck Michael Pactor. He's, he's pretty insignificant. He is, although he, he, he is a smart man in a lot of ways. He's also not... Eh. He's not he's not related to this topic and this, and this thing. Um, and he is a little down in Nintendo in general, so he's kind of a biased source, but... I don't know. I just, I love Awada, and I don't know. I, I, I know it's a little bit of a down point, but I think it's one that needs to be made, which is that, you know, I don't think you should judge Awada on those merits. And as we get away from his death and as people move on again, sometimes this happens. Sometimes people take a look at a man and kind of get a little bit more critical. And I don't well, think I'm saying it's, it could have been worse without him. That's what I was saying. No, I agree. And I'm, I'm agreeing with that point. I'm just saying in general take full stock of everything before you try to judge the person, you know? Because there's a lot of good in there, and I would argue it's mostly good. I'm, so I'm, I'm saying the same thing you are, more or less, you know? Okay. Okay. Um, any, any other points you want to bring up on our friend? Um, shout out to Iwata. He's in Breath of the Wild. Did you know that? He is. I, I did know that. That was a very um, touching tribute. He's got a mountain, too. 
oh, that's S- right. Satori Mountain. You're right. Some fun stuff there. Satora, Owatasan, we love you. We hope wherever you are, you're smiling down on us, and we love our switches, and we love you. All right. All right. All right, Ben, moving on to that, uh, we do have a game club to discuss this week. Yeah. Let's get into it. Okay, so Fendrana Drifts, right? Fendrana Drifts. I said last time, I kept. I, I usually go the wrong way first, you know? This time it really backfired, because I went really deep into Magmore Cavern. Oh, yeah? And, like, I, I saw the opening room of, like, the, the ice level, and I was like, eh, I don't need to go here yet, like... So did you go back down the elevator? I went back down, I went deep into Magmore Cavern, and uh, and then I just hit a dead end, because I didn't have uh, right the, the spider, like, wall climb ball uh, item. The, we were talking about this at the very end of last week, yeah. So now, yeah, I realized that I actually just have to go through the ice level. The first thing you get is the the boost. Yes, you get the ball boost. Yes. And then you get the, I forget, like the 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 boost boots or whatever. What are they called? The the jumper boots, I guess. Yeah, you get the double jump after that. The double jump. Boots. But uh, what what did you think of the, the ball boost, item? The ball boost, it's a fun little item, and I and I love how you can kind of use it on like the yeah the half pipes and all that stuff. It took and, me a minute. Like they put that half pipe there, to, for you to learn. And it took me a minute, though, to, to get the momentum down, because you kind of have to, like, keep charging it after you go up. Yeah, pretty much like, every time you go back down, you, you got to use it. gravity, too. Like, it's not just a pure boost. It, it took me a couple minutes to get used to it. Like, I will admit, I, I was kind of dicking around for a bit before I was like, oh, okay, I kind of get yeah. the... You actually, you need to know how to use it to get further later. Yeah. And most even Even in that section of the game, like, you kind of use it to get... From that half pipe to a section that you use. Oh to get. yeah, actually, yeah, you do need it right there. Like, yeah, like you, you, literally you can't use... go back past until you learn it. So yeah, because you literally like 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 the thing like uh, remember like the the little section of, of the what is it the the platform falls the, away. The bridge is out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The bridge falls away. So yeah, you are stuck in the room until you learn. It's that classic, you know, like Zelda ish or Metroid ish kind of design of you get an item, you immediately have to learn exactly how to use mm-hmm. the item. Yeah. Which... They know like it's just classic game design. Yeah. They know if you go, you get further, you get out of the room, the designer can assume you know the mechanic because you have to get out of the room. Exactly. And it, it does take a minute or two, but you get used to it. In general, with this game, I kind of like how much it doesn't, it doesn't hold your hand, you know, like it, it just kind of like expects you to learn the thing. And once you learn the thing, though, I mean, you're rewarded by going forward. And something I'd like to talk about this week, too, kind of moving, first off, backing up, that main, like, first area with, like, I spent about 10 minutes before I realized you could just shoot that grate down and like I know and, me yeah, too yeah I spent like a 10 minutes like just trying to jump and being like what do I do just charge blast it yeah you just there's really a lot charge. of times where I my last resort is a simple mechanic after trying a million things arbitrarily oh dude like right right before that too I forget somewhere when I was in Magmore Cavern I was trying to figure out what to do and I was like no 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 this was last week I didn't bring this up actually it's 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 earlier in the Choza ruins you know like 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 the big tree room yeah you have to like scan like 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 the symbols on the wall yeah like a day I was stuck in there and I was, I was shooting them and I was like, oh wait, I have a scanner. And you I just, just yeah, scan them, yeah. And I was like, I feel so fucking dumb. But <sighs> something I want to bring up, the moment I got into this room, I was just like, this is a beautiful game still. Yeah. Like, I, this is something we don't bring up, bring up, I think, enough about Nintendo in particular. Maybe this only kind of applies to them and the GameCube era forward, but they kind of had this, there's this company mandate where they kind of, they emphasize 
uh, frame rate over resolution, which means as much as possible, GameCube are on, they wanted a lot of their games to run at 60 frames per second. Uh, and it really pays off in this game. I mean, it's a 15-year-old game, and like that snow and like that opening area, maybe it's not high polygon, but it looks beautiful still. Yeah. And in particular, I know you, you're playing the Wii U, uh, you're playing you're playing the Wii version, I'm playing the GameCube version on the Wii, so I get it in widescreen still. I just, I'm really appreciating that about it. Yeah, the widescreen is good, and uh, it is a, a little pixely on my TV. I don't know, maybe I could turn the sharpness down, but I think uh, I get used to it. It's only when I turn the game on, is that the, it's actually mostly the Wii, you know, the safety Wii strap screen that you have to see every oh, time. Yeah? That, that's, that's like a little pixely. It looks blurry as hell to me, but the game itself looks good. Well, it's hard because it's, it's pretty much just 480p upright to like 720p. Yeah, maybe it is just that screen. Maybe. The Wii Strap screen. I, I, I know I'm playing it natively right. in 480p, so that, that could be why maybe for me, even if it the image quality is actually fuzzy or it looks sharper, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah, after that, you got to find your way back to the actual Talon overworld. Yes. Like where your ship is, and you can, or do you, you take the elevator, and that brings you to a new section of you that You go room. from that half pipe to, you like go above, into an above area, and then you go into a side room, that's where you get the double jump. Yeah, but I'm saying to get, you have to go back to talent to even do that. Yes, you do. You have to go back to like the you have to go back level. through, through Magmore to the other elevator up to Talon, which is like the grassy area. Do you, or doesn't that, doesn't that half pipe just take you to like a shortcut that like takes you there? No. Oh, you're right. No, you do. I had to go back through two elevators. You're right. No, yeah, it takes you. Yeah, fair enough. You're right. Um, but yeah, then you you reach the giant half pipe, which is where you really need to know the yeah the boost ball. And that, that was actually hard. That took me a minute just to get it right. It was like one of those like uh, physics kind of things that was frustrating me frustrating me a bit. It's it's interesting how much the game used like kind of physics based puzzles. Like uh, it's a very interesting thing because it's it's very. I mean, Breath of the Wild does this a lot, but, like, outside of that, I can't think of too many Nintendo games that have these kind of more physics-based kind of floaty puzzles as opposed yeah. to the more, like, traditional kind of very tightly choreographed, uh, like, Zelda-type yeah. puzzles. like Mario isn't physics-based. No. Mario is kind of binary. Yeah, exactly. In Zelda 2, Zelda's very... Most of the time it is binary. With the exception of, like, the new game and, like, some of the older ones, yeah. I'm I'm really liking it yeah. though. Um, I loved too that 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 shot when you get back into the uh, the ice area. That that shot of like Ridley overhead. Oh yeah, the shadow. Oh, that that was, good. That was so nice. I, I love. It was a good moment. I love the visual storytelling in this game. It like, does moments good. The moments are very good, especially since both the protagonist and the antagonist are silent. Yeah. They have to kind of if it feels desolate and Ridley has this presence, but. I guess, yeah, they do a good job of having the presence feel looming. Yeah. And they create that kind of uh, tension without any dialogue. I think it's done well. They do, because it's really interesting to kind of introduce this idea of, oh, Ridley could just be stalking these areas while I'm going through them. Yeah. Even if, like, you feel safe from, like, a game design idea of, like, okay, I know they're, like, not going to just have her swoop in. Like, you don't really know. Like, even now, I'm not 100% sure that, like, at a certain point in the game, like, we're not going to be at risk of, like, Ridley swooping down and, like, killing us or something, you know? Yeah, for a second, I thought it was going to be a boss battle. Yeah. So yeah, you get the space jump boots, which feels amazing. Oh. It's just you're just getting a double jump, which is always great. Oh yeah. And then there's that room further in, where now you have to, you go back to the main, the first room of the ice area. Yeah. Which is where it was snowing. You said looked beautiful, and 
now you got the double jump, you can go onto the higher platforms. Because there's, and the first time you go through it, this is why you and I were getting stuck. There's all these platforms. Yeah, it looks like you can high. go mad places, but it's really a dead end until you figure out you can bust a grate open. Yeah, which is so interesting too that like they they put you into a new area because they do this in the, in the town overworld when you first land too. It's like oh look at all these areas, but I can really only, only go one way. Yeah. Um, and again, that that's like classic Metroid type design. So I just love the way that that stuff translates into 3D and. I'm getting used to the controls a little bit. Uh, something, side note, but a sidebar I do want to bring up. Last week, after we finished up the podcast, your brother was over here. Uh-huh. And first off, shout out to Andy Farrell. It's very nice to finally meet you. Uh, I, I met I met your your other brother, Greg, before. I, I don't think I've ever met Andy, so it was nice to finally meet him. Great kid. Uh, but we were talking about the game, and he was saying, oh, I can never get into that game because of the controls. Yeah. And it was really interesting hearing it from his perspective, because I know we were saying on podcast, maybe it's just me, maybe it's like... This is something that was more common or acceptable in 2002, and your brother was like, oh, hell no. That wasn't acceptable. Like, I could not deal with that shit. Mm-hmm. Like, I I am getting more used to it, and I am. it is clicking for me, because I don't know if it's clicking for me. It's just the game around it is just so good. I just hope this isn't a recurring theme where one of us always has a control problem with all this, because you had yeah. Psychonauts problems. I had problems with this. Yeah. I just, I hope next time... I do have psychological problems. You, oh, I meant psychonauts, but oh, you do oh, have oh. psychological problems as well. Sorry, yeah. No, yeah. You're not incorrect. <laughs> I mean, you're not incorrect, but... <laughs> um, but yeah, and, um, so I'm glad you're getting somewhat used to it, at least. Yeah, I am, and I, I just like the game so much. It's it's almost like I'm just getting used to it for the game, you know? Uh-huh. So yeah, you go to the higher platforms with the double jump, mm-hmm. and then there's this room... It's like the like the altar or like what was it called? Uh, I forget what you know the the room with the the, the like the alien statues. That yeah, you, yeah. The stand I, puzzle with the yeah. Um, did it have like was it like it was Fendrana called. like shrine or something it, like that? It was something ruins. It it, ruins. it was something religious, but I forget. Yeah. Um, was it was it ruins or was it like was it like a was it like a religious name and then ruins? It was something ruins. I forget. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, you have to scan all the statues and there's actually before that there was a cool like upward like cylinder platforming section yes where it was just it was just a cool demonstration of your double jump it was like the first platforming section geared toward that mechanic so yeah they they find really cool ways of like giving you a great again getting back to the point we're making before great examples of how to use these abilities in like really cool ways like almost immediately yeah so basically, yeah, there's a scanning puzzle that just goes right to the mini boss, Shigoth. And Shigoth. there were. This is also a Zelda thing and a, a game thing, but where they have this, the main enemy, the smaller enemy throughout the level, is just. The mini boss or boss then is just a big version of it. Like they're kind of yeah. training you, you know, the, the blue guys. Yeah. You have to like strafe yeah, around yeah. them and get their backs. Yeah, those guys were annoying at those first. Those are annoying. Yeah. Um, but I got the hang of it. How can we before we talk about Shigoth, because it's also horrifying? Can we just talk about how like weird some of the character design is? Where some of them they're kind of cutesy looking, and then like yeah, yeah. those things are like terrifying looking. Below in the in the in the in the Bagmore Cavern, there's like these giant like oh the wor- worm guys, yeah. yeah. And then like you like behead them like when you <laughs> kill them, like they the, die pretty gruesomely. Yeah, the game's like low key like even I was gonna really, say actually the blue guys their death is the most gruesome part. Yeah, because so they like, become split open and explode. Yeah, and you like have to like destroy like like hit their organs and like kill them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, good enemy design. It is great enemy design. I I, I really like that though, like because Metroid's always been kind of one of the more adult series. So I like that they kind of embrace that with this game. Um, she Goth herself is a is a fun. Yeah, is actually, actually, the boss battle starts with 
four of the baby versions. Yes. And I think it is a she because... They're like her, her those babies. Those are like... I just... Yeah, they seem I, like her babies or yeah. something. That... The boss was not difficult, but I guess it's the mini boss, right? Yeah, it's the mini boss. I realize you could only use missiles on her after she shoots her icy bit. Yeah. Um, to, to be fair, the game kind of um, hints at this because, again... With you the, gotta scan the boss. It, it gives you the hint. It does, but even with the little guys, I don't know if you did this, but I noticed that the missiles are way more effective with them. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah the main... The, she goth does not uh, literally does not take damage. Does, didn't take damage with the regular gun. Yeah, I, I guess I'm just saying that like the fact that with the other guys it was so much more effective. It was more. Other... It's kind of teaching. Yeah, it. it's, yeah. it's kind of hinting at that exactly. It's like it's like game design through practice, you know. But yeah, so I realized that, but I ran out of missiles. Oh. And I, I felt stuck, but I was like, "There's no way out of this room. They're not going to make me reset my save file. Like I know the game is designed well enough to, to have another option." And it was also another one of those occasions where, like, I felt completely stuck, but this time I knew there had to be a, a way out, um, and it ended up just being Morph Ball. Oh, and yeah? I think I was put into the situation of being forced to figure this out, but I think it's actually a trick, because I just Morph Balled and did bombs underneath. Like, her belly is her weak spot, oh, yeah? essentially. So you could just roll underneath her and plant bombs up her stomach. Oh, I didn't even do that. So. Yeah, and that's how I killed her, after I ran out of missiles. I wonder if that works on the little guys. I want to try that. Maybe. It can't really get under them, though. I don't know. It's true. You can't. Yeah, they're, they're a little bit too small to get under them. But I, I like this whole section. Um, we're not going to go all the way to, all the way to the boss. Uh, you didn't you didn't quite finish it up, Ben. So we're going to we're going to give you until next week to kind of talk about it. Yeah. I did finish it up. I'm, I'm going to say my thoughts until we can both kind of talk about it. I'm loving the game so far, dude. Yeah. Every time I play it, I'm, I have fun. It's great. I it, it's just a super well designed game. And again, I I really like like the kind of again, like the silent like kind of simplistic but also more in depth storytelling and yeah. the, the scanning like if you if you scan some certain items like there's some pretty in depth lore about this world and like yeah i've gotten creatures. a bit lazy with the scanning but then i remember it's there and like or if they make me do it and it's kind of like oh shit what am i missing it's and there's a lot of stuff i mean again it's almost like again like kind of like that like dark soulsy kind of uh not to not to do my thing and, and relate everything to dark souls but uh it it very similarly does this thing where like it is very silent, kind of like in the background exposition and storytelling. But if you dive into it, like there's a mm-hmm. lot of depth about that world. And yeah, or like kind of like Bioshock finding the uh, tapes. Exactly. And yeah, a lot of games do that where the story is there if you want it, and you you, you get as much out of it as you put into it by exploring. I guess I'm I'm kind of taking it a bit easy on on myself with this game. A lot of times I put pressure on myself to like complete a game and find everything. I'm I'm not doing that as much with this one. See, that's an interesting thing about Game Club that I don't think we've ever discussed again. Like, you and I are very different. Like, I'm I'm a little bit more kind of like someone who takes their time with the game. You very much so are like, when I'm in a game, I'm doing a game. I'm going to do as much of it as I can. So, like, for you, it's a little bit more of an easygoing way to play a game. For me, it's more like every week I'm playing a game and, like, I don't take a week off, you know? So, like, in different ways, like, Game Club is challenging us to play differently. Yeah, I do. No, I like that. It's a good way to put it. It's challenging me to play differently. I think that's the point, again, for you guys, too. Um, are you more like me or are you more like Ben? I think we're going to... Let's even do that as, like, an inaugural question for the group. Like, how do you normally play games? How has Game Club changed that? I think that's an interesting thing to jump back to the community. That said, as always, let us let us go. Let us know what you guys are thinking. Are you enjoying Metroid Prime? Have you not played along yet? If so, don't worry about it. There's still enough time. We're only two weeks in. 
buy a copy of the game, get it on Wii U if you have it, play the play the better control control scheme, or suffer like I am and play through the GameCube control scheme, and, and they'll. Or just listen to our lovely analysis of our time with it. Yeah, and do whatever you want, but uh, be sure to engage with us. And uh, on that note, Ben, hey, put her there. Put her there. Ben is shaking my hand. As always, listeners, I am reaching out. Metaphysically, I'm shaking all your hands as well. Have a good one. Ben, where can we find you online? At KeepPluggingLI on Twitter. And just keep plugging everywhere else. YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. That's right. On that note, on the YouTube, I do just want to say something on record right now. Uh, we have more content coming. We're going to start working on pushing some stuff out for you guys in the, in the next couple weeks. That said, keep on keep on the lookout for it. Thank you guys for the support so, so far. And we love you guys, okay? You can find me online at hi there big fell if you want to yell at me about anything you can find me on instagram as the underscore sans underscore man and you can find me on snapchat as just sans underscore man all right everybody be happy be safe and keep plugging keep plugging all right. wow.